Ceramics are everywhere in today's world, but who are the scientists and engineers who work with such materials? Now is your chance to meet them here on Ceramic Tech Chat. I'm Lisa McDonald, and this is Ceramic Tech Chat. During the past two years, our reliance on the internet grew immensely as people began to work, shop, and hang with friends virtually during pandemic quarantines. Yet as COVID restrictions ease with the availability of vaccines, it is time to remember the many things there are to discover beyond the confines of our homes, things which will require hardware, not just software, to achieve. Coding will create this virtual environment, which is fun. Virtual reality is here to stay. It's a fascinating universe. Yes, but if we stop there, coding can only go thus far. So we need more hardware, either electronic hardware or um, materials to explore the universe or even materials to make our lives better, more comfortable. And now with the biggest challenge that everything needs to be sustainable. That's Ricardo Castro, professor of material science and engineering at the University of California, Davis. Ricardo's research focuses on the processing and properties of nanoceramics, but he is also instrumental in launching several programs to grow student interest in material science using superheroes. What are the benefits and challenges of using superheroes to inspire an interest in materials? Plus, Ricardo discusses the move toward open access publishing and how it serves to make the material science field more accessible as well. Ceramics is not generally the first field people think of when they're like, I'm going to go do science. I'm going to go do advanced ceramics. So what's your story for how did you come to the, learn about ceramics and get involved with doing nano ceramics? Well, how I got to that, it's, it's a different story because uh, I was once in a class and it was an extracurriculum class. I was doing my, doing my undergrad. And when I was there, like this professor I still have great memories of him. You know, he's a, a fantastic professor. And he came with this crazy thing in the classroom. And what he did, he actually brought a turbine, an actual turbine into the classroom. And now that's fine. Yeah, he's going to demonstrate a turbine. That's fine. But no, he actually lights it up like in the classroom. And then you have this fantastic view of the fires coming out of that it was basically a piece of you can imagine it as like a cylinder of metal like the size of like a, a soda two liter kind of thing and put it aside and made out of metal and then he basically turn it on like hits it up and eventually you start seeing this fantastic flame coming out of, of the side of that and then you start making those fantastic noises because this basically goes to mac one and mac two and this is in the classroom, it's like, this guy's crazy. But then that's when I start falling in love with, with the thing. And I said, that's what I want to do. I want to be able to design something that actually can do that. Because then my, for some reason, my immediate question is that, what is this made out of? Like, how can you make one of those? And then he actually talked, well, this, you know, a, a space material. This is basically, uh, you know, metals in this, in this case. But 
uh, okay, you know, I'll look it up. You know, I start researching how can I build my own? So that was what I wanted to build my own uh, a turbine. So I went back to my university and start knocking the doors of professors in materials engineering to say, I want to do that. What do I need to learn? And then one of them told me, oh, okay, you know, this is basically steel, aerospace steel. It's no big deal. The technology is sorted out, but there is a lot of new development that you have in ceramics. And there's some coatings that you need for this. So you're better off if you start your career doing things on ceramics. There's this new professor, the assistant professor that just is starting his lab. Maybe you actually learn. And then I might talk to him. And then we start talking to him that is Professor Douglas Govea, who became my undergrad supervisor and then later my PhD advisor. He was so passionate about the thing, so passionate about ceramics and everything. They start talking to me about like the different kinds of processing, the problems that they were in the literature, the opportunities in science. We barely talked about rocket at all, but he was so passionate that he just flooded me with that idea. And I was pumped and excited after that. So, wow, I didn't know that, but I actually, that's what I want to do. Of course, before leaving the office, I went back and said, would I be able to actually make a rocket? And then he looked at me, yeah, sure. Why not? It's all ceramics. And of course, it never happened. He just fooled me totally. But it doesn't matter because I was admitting this universe that there are such interesting questions and problems to be solved that I was just happy to be in that place. So later on, I did my own attempts to build the, the, <laughs> the rocket and I failed miserably. And I say, well, that's one of my frustrations that I never get to build my own turbine. But maybe maybe one grad student will come one day and say, hey, let's build those things. And, and I would just say, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's going to be, ex- I'll be happy if this happens. Even if you haven't gotten to build a turbine, you've definitely got to research a lot of other really interesting things. And so how did you end up at UC Davis and what are some of the projects that you've done there? Yeah, well, I'm originally from Brazil. So this all the story happened there. And I got really excited and I became a professor there in Brazil and I started digging deeper on this problem of nanoceramics. Because nanoceramics are basically from two kinds or maybe three kinds of nanoceramics. You have the powder form and those powders, you can do ceramic sensors and you can do catalysts with those. And then you have the coatings, nano coatings that you can coat metals and coat other ceramics, but it's to protect, to create these protective layers, which are find a lot of interesting application in aerospace. Uh, but then you have uh, the bulk ceramics, right? The actual parts of nano ceramics, which have nanograins. The grain sizes are very small. And then you have such a unique properties. In all of them, there are so many questions to be answered from the processing of them, trying to get them to be what you want them to be with the right microstructure to actually what are the properties. From time to time, I go to the lab, you know, we do some tests and honestly, we don't know what we're going to we're gonna see. We test it and say, oh, I have a hypothesis and but I honestly don't know what's going to happen. And when it happens... You see, oh, what I was thinking was totally wrong. Like, let's sit down and redo a hypothesis because the nano does bring this very unique question. So I was back in Brazil, like doing this research. 
with much more limited resources. And then uh, I met this professor at UC Davis. Uh, she was in UC Davis. Now she's in Arizona State University, Alex Nabrowski. And then we started chatting about these and we created these international collaborations. So we wrote a project together and we started collaborating. And when I was in this collaboration, one of those trips, like I went to, we was UC Davis, UNAMI, Mexico, and us. So there are three institutions involved. Then we were in Mexico. I gave my talk. It was nice. And then we went for dinner, having a good time over dinner. And then Alex Nabrowski comes to me and say, hey, there's another position at UC Davis. You should consider it. And at this moment, you know, I was very flattered, but I didn't think it was real. I never thought it was actually a thing. And so, yeah, sure. Thanks, Alex. I'm sure you got to get awesome candidates and it won't be me. And then she insisted, no, you have to apply for that. I said, but Alex, I'm doing so great back in Brazil. Things are doing great. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have a good job. Life is good. And I said, exactly. That's why we want you because your life, because you, you know how to be successful and you want you to be here. I said, okay, so I'll go through for the experience. So I called my wife to be from Mexico because she said the position is open. So we have to kind of come up with this thing very quickly. And okay, I call her. What do you think? And what do you mean? You're going to have to move to U.S.? And I say, yeah. I never thought about that. <laughs> no, of course not. And then she was super supportive and say, you know, let's do that. Let's try. If I don't get, I don't get an offer. It was an awesome experience. And if I get an offer, then we solve that problem later on. So it happens that a week before my wedding, I got an offer letter from UC Davis. And I share with my wife, Luciana, and say, hey, say. So let's go get married and move to U.S. And so, wow, that's a lot of change. But that's what happened. We moved in 2009 here. And it's great. Now we have two kids and we have a blast here in Davis. Yeah, for sure. When students start out in material science, everything is often foreign to them and they don't really have any personal connections to the material. But one way that Ricardo is helping students become more interested in understanding the larger picture of ceramics is to connect the topic to things that are personal to them, in this case, being superheroes. The Superheroes Project is an amazing, yeah, it's amazing to talk about. <laughs> so. Uh, the Engineering Superheroes Project was an initiative that we have just to really engage the students with challenging concepts, right? So uh, talking about ceramics or metals or calculus or you know whatever you do, do that is hardcore and difficult to understand, uh, uh, automatically we will create some barriers. So, and then you start reading the literature about education and then you see those guys saying that it's very challenging to have classrooms and classes that are longer than one hour because the students lose attention, the attention span of a human being, it's not so long. And then it's, uh, but wait a minute, I just came from the theater and I was sitting for three hours watching Infinity War or, you know, Endgame. And nobody was distracted. 
Like people are really, really focused. And I can ask a week later, what are the key aspects of the movie? Who are the key characters? Who are the evil guy? What was his powers? And they would know everything. So I don't think there is a problem with the time on attention span of students. I think the challenge, the problem is actually now we need, we have been designing ourselves to need to be entertained. And the combination of entertainment and, and education can be the key to actually engage students at young age into solving complex problems, just for them to start seeing those in an interesting way. Seeing these as, as a cool thing to do. Like, it's very similar to the moment I got into my advisor's uh, room and he just sold ceramics to me. He was passionate. He had the right example. He's super excitement about that. And I said, yeah, this is what I want to do. I want this excitement. I will buy the excitement and I will do the hard work because I am excited. And with the superhero world is you basically bring those things together. And it's an easy one. It's an easy thing to, to bring the, the students to attention. And there is a risk. It's a fine line, though, that you have to walk not to become just entertaining. And actually, when I started this, I had some students. I like those students. Right? You know, those are my favorite students that question you, even in your education. And then they come and say, are you seriously talking about superheroes in college? Is this what my dad is paying for? And so, yes. By the end of this course, I will ask this question again. And I want you to tell me if that worked for you or not. So then we started with a course that has an undergrad course that we have that's called Materials Marvels. So that's for the freshman student. And basically, we start with a little bit of history of materials in the civilization. And then we start getting into how are we going to develop newer materials, new things? And what if we actually start exercising a creative part of our brain and start bringing superheroes to the problem? And then when we start talking about superheroes, they realize that if I bring the arc reactor as a piece of engineering, we can dissect that thing from an engineering perspective and trying to understand metals, ceramics, plasma, lasers, and you bet, even nuclear reactions. It's really such a rich element. And then I can bring the actual concepts and they can learn. And what happens more often than not is that students get interest in specific points of that. And every student will be interested in a different thing. Like one student will be interested oh, I love this laser part. And then I tell him, you know what? You should talk to this professor. You know, that's his job to build ceramics for lasers. And then go be there and do their research and do it. I'm just happy that I inspired that student to become a researcher. Like they just, you know, I don't know what is going to be the future, but at least I inspired them to go the next step. So we started with the undergrad course, Materials Marvels, and that was a heat. I started surveying the students and they were just, yeah, this is amazing. And I started asking questions. If you were in high school, would that be something that you would be interested in? And said, well, yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been watching those movies since I was in mid school. And so, okay, that's great. So that's what I needed. And then we came up with this concept of let's bring this in a little more simplified manner 
to the schools and you know help the teachers we provide lesson plans for the teachers so let's do this outreach and uh, thanks to NSF Ceramics Lynette Madsen program manager and and basically that was an amazing opportunity but then we got COVID pandemic and now just a little wrench in everyone's plans (laughs) exactly (laughs) so okay I have to change this somehow and well everybody's in front of the computer now so let's start thinking can we do this online can we actually do a class or at least something that is entertaining uh, in education at a time so that's when we came up with the engineering superheroes series and it i call it serious because i'm just i'm optimistic because we just have one episode <laughs> <laughs> but I hope we have more episodes to show soon. But but the idea is exactly that. Let's combine superhero science with uh, material science and basically trying to, to get students, attract more students who go for these particular majors. And then create an episode that has hands-on activities. You know, we can do some mechanical tasks and basically show what you need to do to actually have Capture American Shield to be performed as a material. So is that something real? Is that just fictional? We talk about uh, Spider-Man's webs and what kind of polymer you should be using in that. So it's a little broader than ceramics, but it creates a whole new universe for conversations. And yeah, it's been successful, but I love to continue that. And it's looking good. It's looking good. That's what I was going to say. Well, do you have a favorite superhero that you like? Well, I, I like them all. I'm, I'm a big fan of the superheroes and the, and the supervillains. Like, I love supervillains equally. <laughs> the Green <laughs> Goblet is just, you know, this is an amazing character. Like, you think about the technology he created. They're just equivalent to, to Idol Man, right? Uh, yes. I, 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 so you start thinking, maybe in a fight, who's going to win? I don't know. So, but I, I like them both. But my, my, my favorite is Idol Man just because... It, it's, it's such an obvious character to like if you're an engineer, right? Of course. <laughs> you're there in a cave and again, nothing. And then eventually you just build a narc reactor and a whole armor. And this is the symbol of engineering, like just creating something useful from whatever you have around you. And so this is, it's, it's a great character. Yeah, that's my favorite. Communicating science to non-specialist audiences is something scientists do almost every day. Yet knowing how to communicate science effectively to different groups is a skill not always taught in school. ACE's Communicating Science webpage offers some useful resources to learn how to communicate science effectively. Visit the webpage at www.ceramics.org communicating science. We love having you here at the American Ceramic Society. So what's your story of how you became a member with ACERS? Uh, so when I was back in Brazil, uh, the Ceramic Society was already, for me, the gold standard. And, and still is the gold standard of, you know, the, of society. I was thinking, I always saw that as, wow, the people that really matter in this field are all there. That was always my perspective. And then I thought, that's what I need to be. And if I really want to understand what are the challenges of the society to grow in my career. And then, you know, I, I became a member, even when I was a professor back in Brazil. 
And I was, honestly, I had to face some challenges because when you are, you're a domestic student and you are part of the American society since you were a grad student, you naturally become like part of that society when you are professional or a professor sometimes. And basically, you know people. Right. You already know you've seen the all familiar faces. At least you're going to find one or two familiar faces to kind of tag. Your professors will be here. So you always have some familiar faces. So here I am coming from Brazil and getting in here and looking at who, the core of American society and say, how am I going to get in this society? <laughs> so I'm, I'm very shameless. I'm just going to show my face in every meeting and I'm going to start organizing symposium. I'm going to go to all the award ceremonies. I'm going to sit at the table with random people and then start conversations and let's see how that goes. And what I realized is that everybody was so friendly and so welcoming. They're all thinking about ceramics and talking about ceramics and they have similar questions that I do. And then it just became an important part of my career. You've contributed so much to the society too. You've helped with our short courses and you probably one of the biggest things is you helped with the foundation of the new open access journal, right? The International mm-hmm. Journal of Ceramic Engineering and Science. Yes, yes, yeah. IGCS is it's, it was a, a a great challenge, you know, that Asia's put on my plate, and I was really excited. I think the concept is is very is very unique. It brings everything we need in science in general, right? That we need things that are open for everyone, like. Uh, open access, I know there's still, it's a cursed name still. Everybody think about open access. You think about things that are not of great quality. You know, it's just being approved because you're friends with the editors and whatever. It's just, you know, or it's a money machine, like some of these, you know, predatory journals. And of course, those are around there. But it's a shame because it it taints the, the whole noble concept of an open access principle. So open access means that everyone around the globe would have access to that. And why this is important? Well, if you're in US, if you are in, in a university in US, maybe it won't be make any difference to you. But if you're back in Brazil and your institution doesn't have access to ACER just because it was too expensive this year to renew the contract, how are you supposed to read the material? How are you supposed to catch up with literature. You're not, so you are, you're behind. You're automatically behind. I'm not saying that all institutions in Brazil don't have access. Most of them have, the government does a great job trying to give access to that, but it is expensive. And so you're pressing these countries that are known not to have a lot of money already to actually pay for these access and subscriptions and so forth. And then this creates a problem for me of, basically the democracy of the data. So to dream of this, oh, if I produce the science, it produce the data, it belongs to everyone. Well, as a scientist, I think that's a given. You know, if you're producing science for what? Just for you to get better and get awards and be pat on the back. I think it's beyond that. You create science to evolve and develop the society. And if I put this, I lock it in between dollars amounts and say, you can't have access to this, 
only if you pay $35 a paper. Um, for me, it, it doesn't feel right. So the model has evolved to this. It is what it is. You know, it's not bad. You generally have access, but I think it's time to change. It's time for us to go beyond that concept. And IGCS is helping that. It's really helping changing this publication model to something that is, well, let's make it open. Papers that are published there already see the difference. Is There are more downloads. People read it more. It's really like it has going to have more impact. Of course, it takes time, right? Because I just created a journal. Anyone that creates a journal, the journal will take a few years for the people to recognize and see the value in that. So we, we are taking our time to be indexed and have impact factors. But when you analyze the data, we start saying, hey, some of our papers are more downloaded than the papers in the Journal of the American Ceramic Society, which is an awesome journal. And so that's where we see the power of the open access. And I also know IJCES, unlike some of the more traditional journals, it's also been a great platform for people who have case studies, like in industry. I know a lot of people in industry have been expressing interest because they don't always have an outlet to talk about the results that they have. And again, it feeds into what you said about the more viewpoints you have, the more diversity, the more ways you can look at a problem. And IJCES is one way that we can get more of that industry perspective. You bet. We already have some very, very good papers from the industry perspective. And because it's not that I know some industries are still have this this company. Oh, I don't want to publish because it's going to be telling my secrets and so forth. But but there's a you know if you think about it, there's a lot of things that you can publish. And I'll tell the industry, do tell us what your problems are, because then the the academia can actually help you solve those problems. So if you you just super quiet about that and just said, I don't want to tell anyone about this, this is my secret, uh, it, it, it won't help you much. But if you start sharing these challenges and problems, even if you, you know we do accept things like like a negative data, things that you tried several times and they never work, we are open for this in IGCS because I I believe that uh, negative data is is as important as a positive data because basically will will save a lot of time for a lot of people because if you already try it, it then doesn't work. I want to know, but not a lot of journals would accept those because it's going to say. Ah, uh, there's nothing new here. It's not going to be impactful. I disagree. It's going to be equally impactful because it first, maybe in a not so obvious way, because you know I'm not going to try that because that company already failed that. But at the same time, we actually feed some new perspective. I want to look at that problem from an industry and say, hey, I know how to solve this, or I will write a project to NSF, or I will contact the company and write a project with them, like his goalie proposals to NSF, and maybe I'll get some money and we can work together on this problem and solve that. So this is indeed a fantastic place for industry to put their work. While research can be hard work, it can also be a lot of fun, especially when you can share your research freely and in a relatable manner. I'm Lisa McDonald, and this is Ceramic Tech Chat. Visit our 
website at ceramics.org for this episode's show notes and to learn more about Ricardo's work at UC Davis. Ceramic Tech Chat is produced by Lisa McDonald and copyrighted by the American Ceramic Society. Until next time, I'm Lisa McDonald and thank you for joining us.